Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the digital workspace inner workings. So I, um, I did a presentation yesterday, and I'm not sure if I can actually say the event, so I'm just going to say I did one yesterday, uh, on burnout. Um, and it was quite interesting what came out of that. Uh, it was all to, to a bunch of uh, CIOs, CTOs, head of, head of IT, etc. Um, and, and we covered, um, well, I, you know, my, my sort of presentation was to level set it. So, you know, what is burnout? And then there's, there's three categories or three types of burnout. There's frenetic, uh, which is the, the one that we mostly feel, which is the, the multitude of things you've got to do and and that being always pressing. Then there's, um, oh, you know what, let me actually get it up because I've now forgotten. My, my brain is fried today. Uh, I always find when I do a presentation that the next day I'm exhausted. Um, there's bore out which is when you're under underworked and under um, challenged, which I've never had in my life, uh, I suppose. I'm not in a, not in a real career. <laughs> um, but uh, and then there's worn out, which is the second one, which is when you ground down by heavy demands that persist over time. Um, and, and I was saying in my, my speech, I mean, this, this week has been just like that, you know, frenetic and worn out. Too many things to do, too much stuff happening at home. My wife we think it's a COVID, so she's been down for a couple of days. My daughter's had some issues. So, you know, it's, it's fine when work is busy because you can just be busy with work. But when your when your other stuff kicks in, then it's that's that's the frenetic and then the worn out piece. Um, the other thing that uh, I found interesting in the research that I did is that the burnout ratio or, or the or the the percentage of people affected rose. Um, through the pandemic, which is not unexpected, but it rose by 10%, which is quite a big amount if you consider um, that as an, as an increasing value. And two thirds of the respondents to the survey that I looked at, they felt that the pandemic actually made burnout worse, whereas 30% felt it got better. Um, but the interesting thing about all of that was that 86% said that mundane tasks were the biggest issue for them. And that took about a third of their work week to, and got in the way of doing their jobs. And I'm thinking about things like filling in timesheets and um, you know, doing a weekly report or something like that, that, that really no one reads, those sorts of things that are all you know, back to the old days, and I'm talking the old days when, when they were in the factories where, where they try to put these management procedures in place and how those affect people's time. Um, and these are the sorts of things that, you know, people, well, what people want is to have a purpose and do things they want that, that, that brings out a passion in them. And doing mundane, boring things that have no value, you know, counter, counteracts that completely. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Those, those three types of burnout, I hadn't heard it broken down that way before. So it was, um, you said frenetic, Bore out and, and worn, worn out. And worn out, yeah. 
I think it bore out like the the kid in the class who's too far ahead and their teacher isn't giving them more um, advanced work to do, so they act out. That's what that makes me think of. Um, yeah, that I guess you, it could, yeah. That or you're, or you're, you're a really driven person and you're told to go and become a, a coffee maker, you know, like a, like a, not a lot of not a barrister. But I'm talking about someone like a tea like a tea person. You know, you, you sit there and you make you know instant coffee with two sugars and milk. You know, which which is you know an insulting role for someone with with, with aptitude and, and skills. Not that there's anything wrong with a tea maker, but if you if you are overqualified or or not not geared for that kind of work, and you should be doing something a bit more. Um, to your skill set, then yeah, that could bore you out completely. Sure. Yeah. I think it, it that depends on what what your what you've decided your life priorities are and then whether or not, yeah, that um, you know, you want to use your more of your brain at work or your physical skill set or if you want work to just be a a very um, kind of something, you know, that gives you a paycheck and then you, you know, I'm just thinking of a lot of like artists, for example, who might be baristas, but, um, and for some people that is their art, but, um, but anyway, back to, well, I mean, on, yeah. on the barista's point, I mean, if you're, if you're a barista, I would see that as, you know, and I say a proper one, it's like being a, being a sommelier or something like that. If it's your passion and you're good at it, that I could see being a very fulfilling job that, yes, it might be stressful in the sense that you work long hours in order to earn reasonable money because most of those would be hourly waged jobs. But I've got a problem with those for a period of time. Um, but I'm saying if you're a, a 50-year-old person who hasn't done anything else but be that role, mm-hmm. I, I would personally would be concerned with myself if I was in that position. Yeah, when I... Um I was just thinking that, you know, regardless of role, if you're in the same role for too long without getting any new challenge, without any change, without a promotion, without getting new challenges, without something changing, um, it's kind of inevitable that you would uh, hit the hit the bore out type of burnout. Yeah, um, yeah. So what else, what, what was the, so it was a um, kind of discussion format after you presented, yeah. is that kind of what it was? Yeah, was so, any- yeah so it, it, it was a town hall, I did a 10 minute uh, level set, which is what I was kind of talking to you the presentation now, and then we had a breakout with three questions, um, which I can't remember what those were, but in essence, you know, we talked about each question for 10 minutes, uh, and then there was a summary piece and then just a general chat. Uh, and it was very interesting. I mean, it, it covers a lot of things that we've covered in our conversations around being a digital nomad, working from home, hybrid working, um, those sorts of things. Um, one of the questions that I posed during my presentation is, you know, did working hybrid help or hinder burnout? And when you take into account people that have been forced due to the pandemic to work from home, there were obviously additional things added to their lifestyle or their work style that they didn't have before. You know, additional caring responsibilities, homeschooling, caring for parents or relatives. You know, during the pandemic, obviously people that were furloughed in the UK or in other countries lost their jobs. 
so that someone else had to help them survive if the government couldn't help them. Uh, you know, great, you know, greater stress and anxiety from the unknown. Um, not having the tools, the digital tools to do their jobs. You know, you imagine you you, can, you could talk to stay at home on the Friday and you start work on Monday, but you don't have a laptop or a desktop at home to do your job, but your job requires those things. Um, and then the other thing was was around newly re- remote workers to look busy. Uh, and I think that came up in lots of conversations, even before yesterday's session. Uh, people that are unproven having to now prove themselves. Uh, or a new joiner, first job, doesn't know what the work culture or life is and you know doesn't even know where to start from from day one so so how do you factor those people in and, and give them that that sense of of what they need to do mm-hmm. and you said these were CIOs most yeah. on the call do they do CIOs um and maybe you can speak to this from your experience too do you is burnout how much is how much of burnout is the responsibility of the CIO versus you know the HR department versus the CEO? Kind of where where do you see the CIO's ownership of the burnout conversation? Well, yeah. So we actually we should ask that question because that's a really good question. Um, so it came up in many ways. One. And, and I'll talk to other conversations about this as well. One is that the CIO or the CTO, whatever, whoever, whoever owned technology, technology leader, has two roles. One role is obviously being a leader for their own team and teams. Uh, and the other role is working with, with business colleagues. And in the, in the first instance, it's like any leadership. You know, you need to look after people. You need to make sure they've been taken care of. Um, and you need to be aware of, of people on the, on the downward trend to help bring them up one way or another. When it comes to the other role of connecting with, with the other business partners, or in partnership, you know, HR is very good at, and I'm, and I'm speaking this very generally, are very good at policies and procedures and, and that sort of thing, protecting the organization from HR issues. Um, but they're not very good at the implementation of technologies for those things, for example. Um, so running a pulse survey might be something that they would ask technology to do for them if they didn't have the tool already or to bring in a tool for them. So what's ha- what, I, what I understood back to, you know, sort of March 2020 is there was a, a much closer relationship between technology and HR. Um, in some respects, a lot of those policies and procedures were challenged because they actually couldn't be implemented as a check and balance policy. Uh, and I can't give you an example because I don't have one, but but I would think something like um, if you look at remote working, there's a push in some companies to have you in the office three days a week. But to have you in the office three days a week might mean that you are coming all the way into the office to sit on the phone all day long. And you're now using a different desk each day because you're hot desking. And each time you come in, you're wasting precious time setting up your machine and getting organized to just do calls all day because there's actually no collaboration in the office. But that would be an HR policy that's been implemented, but the technology hasn't backed it up. Now, if you'd stayed at home, you would have saved the time of setup. You would also probably have a better setup at home if you've got the means. You know, and I was, I was explaining to someone yesterday, you know, my office at home is, is much superior to what I ever have in an office environment because I've paid for it myself and I bought the things I wanted. 
um, if I and if, and if a company wanted to provide that for me, they have to provide it for everyone, um, and that, that becomes cost prohibitive. So, you know, when you look at it like that, there's an HR policy to get you in, but now it's up to technology to make sure you stay. And if that's the, the expectation of what you should get has gone up now, you know, before you were allowed to work from home, you kind of just accepted what you were given as a corporate standard. But now you can have your own standard at home. So you're like, well, if, if I've got these things at home, I've got two screens, I've got my standing desk, et cetera. If I've got all that, I must have the, the office for me to go to the office. But I don't have that, then I'm not even going to take my laptop to work with me. I'm going to go there to meet people. I'm not going to go on phone calls all day because then I'm doing face-to-face -face time. And that's, I mean, I say it tongue-in-cheek because I would never leave my laptop at home. But I probably see myself going into the office and not worrying about being productive technically that in that day, I would see it as me going to the office to collaborate with people and I'd use the train trip in and out to do emails and, you know, write things up or whatever. Um, so that's how it came out um, in, in conversation. Yeah, that's all um, well interesting. It also makes me think the thing that I've heard people complain about um, in the office versus home is actually Wi-Fi, funnily enough, their home Wi-Fi being better than the office Wi-Fi, which really matters when you are not doing like the in-person collaboration piece as much and you are spending all day on calls. That's when you really feel the um, connectivity piece. But. Well, I, I remember working for an organization where we had 40 people for eight desks. And it was all these collaboration spaces. So what would happen is we'd all get in because we all have, you know, people to see and things to do, and all of us would be there. But there wasn't enough space, so those eight desks would be allocated to the so-called office workers, people that that uh, need a dedicated desk. And then we would go and use all the collaboration spaces. But then that would irritate the other people because they'd be like, "Well, I can't go to the coffee shop and sit because this this team has taken over all the coffee tables." Um, and then you've got that problem of Wi-Fi and people doing calls in the, in the middle of a coffee shop. And, okay, fair enough, we did a lot of face-to-face -face meetings, so, so there were meeting rooms and stuff we used. But it was really a mess. Um, and I don't know what the answer is. I, I do think it's a case of letting people be adults and figure it out. But I also think it's a case of you can't, you can't let them figure it out without some sort of parameters to say, you know, you need to do some face-to-face -face time in the office if you're near an office, you know, there's no point if you live in another city and there's no office to commute every week to go to that office. Uh, I mean, we got a guy in New York, he goes into to Boston maybe every three weeks, four weeks, which is fine. You know, it's, doable, it's manageable, it's planned. Yeah. Yeah, what haven't we, sorry, what have we not touched on in terms of um, well, burnout conversation as it relates to tech? Yeah. Well, well, I'll tell you some of the other things that came up in the conversation. So, I mean, I obviously went through my usual things about meetings being shorter and less of them and using technology asynchronously, which which really resonated with a lot of people. Um, mm. Using surveys to collect feedback does work, but it's more about the in-person stuff. There's also a, a lot of a lot of them are talking about how having this fixed in-office time, two, three days a week, was hurting their recruitment um, Activities. People were going for jobs which were flexible. Um, yeah. There's also there was also some discussion around sending care packages home. You know, sending equipment to to people. 
so they had decent equipment at home, and that actually working out better than bringing them into the office. Uh, you know, good headphones, good microphone, you know, good speaker phones, microphone, whatever, whatever you want to call them, to go with with a standing desk, maybe not a full standing desk, but a budget towards a standing desk. So if you had a, I think I can't remember what I paid for mine, but let's say it was 300 pounds towards a 600 pound standing desk, you could buy your desk or you could buy the standing desk. It's up to you. Um, so there was a couple of those sort of things that came up, which I thought was quite nice. Um, and then the other piece which I mentioned was the the technology piece of having a, a better experience in the office, but also an expectation that every meeting room that you went into had the capability to do a call. Whereas in the old world, it was almost the case that some meeting rooms would have and some meetings wouldn't have. But because you're dealing with more of a a collaborative environment, the expectation is you might have people go into an office to sit around a boardroom table to talk about something and dial someone in who's not there because people are now geolocated far away. So we did talk a lot about how people that once they realized that they could work remotely were saying, well, can I go back to my home country and work from there? But now the tax implications of that comes in, the time zone comes in, all those things. But because they're good performers, to keep them and also to not lose the skills because to rehire the skills in this market are tough. The company had to make the make the offer or make it work um, or be more open to making it work, which I don't think is a bad thing. I think that's a good a good sign. Yeah, you know I agree. I think um, the piece around the making sure that um, meeting rooms are well set up to do calls can't be underestimated because the that to me is still one of the worst parts of the hybrid experience is having some people on um, you know in an office together some people on the screen and if there are audio issues or you know, one side can't hear each other, but it's because the connection is poor. All of those things just um, are really, really make the discrepancy between the office and the remote set very obvious. And you can kind of cut either group off from the conversation, depending on are there more people on the remote call? Or are there more people on the office call? Um, so, yeah, I think that's really not going to go away. So one of the more key things to get right in terms of preparing the office for things like back to office planning or just optimizing it so people don't feel as, um, you know, it's, it's incredibly frustrating, right, to have a just fine meeting experience at home um, and then to go in and have this hybrid meeting experience that is a poor experience and you can't even talk to your colleagues just because of technology. Well, well, exactly. And um, I look, it's, I, I wouldn't say you can ever do, it can't be one or the other. I don't think you'd say, I'm only ever working from home and I'm only ever working in the office in a day. Some days you, you may have to go into the office because you've got a couple of face-to-face things and you have to do that call with other people, which may be one of those experiences. And I think that, you know, those will happen. But, and, and that's the point is the technology has to get to a point um, or at least the offering in the office has to get to a point that those things are just, that pain is reduced as much as possible. And I think it's possible. I don't think, it's, I don't think we need new technology. Uh, I just think we need 
you know, as a as a business, they need to just put that that investment in. If that's what if they want people in the office, if they don't want, if they don't want people in the office, and they're going to use them as as collaboration centers where you're not doing calls from them, then that's also fine. But then it's got to be clear; it can't be ambiguous. Mm. Well, I guess on the the survey component of of the question, did you get to? kind of what to do when you get that survey feedback back? Well, I mean, I think the biggest the biggest thing that came out of that is you've got to listen to the feedback. Now, that's not to say that you just take everything in and you, and you use everything that comes in, but you've got to make it clear that you've heard the feedback. So, you know, if the feedback is the coffee's really terrible in the coffee shop and one person says that, you're probably not going to do anything about it. But if you're getting maybe 10, 20%, 30% of your working force that's come that's saying it's a problem, then you'll have to do something about it. Um, or at least communicate that you're going to look at new vendors or whatever it is. So it's just it's just a case of being heard and feedback loops and, and all the rest of it. Um, and again, it comes back to if the coffee's bad and that's what people like. I remember when I was with Hilo, we, we used to work out of a WeWork. And I loved it because we had a barrister downstairs and it was part of the deal. And you walk in and there'd be a long line and you'd walk past, you'd wave, you'd order your coffee, you'd come back an hour later and, and be ready for you. And it was good coffee. And when we moved to another building where we didn't have the coffee shop, it used to piss me off. It was such a silly thing, but I used to enjoy that because I used to walk back up to the WeWork. I used to walk in, pay for, my, pay for a cup of coffee because it was just a good cup of coffee. And I, I had this routine where I'd go get the coffee at WeWork and I'd go sit. There's like these benches against the wall against the windows you can sit there have a cup of coffee i'd have my my ipad open or whatever i was using and i'd catch up on the emails that i had that morning and i just drink my coffee before i get to the office and get bombarded by whatever's going on and it would just ease me into the day and when and when i realized when, when you moved to the other office i didn't have that you'd have to go upstairs through your office to the coffee machine and by the time you did that you'd been th- you know you'd been thumped by 10 things so you didn't really feel like you'd eased in the day. It was like straight into it, and it would always put you on the back foot. So I can see how that, little things like that make a big difference, but I think it's, you know, as I say, just listening, putting in place a plan to either address it or not address it, but communicate them. We're not going to address it because the coffee vendors, we all think, you know, 70% of the organization says it's fine. And, you know, people either get used to it or they don't. As a silly example. Yeah, no, I think that's a good good way to to look at it um to make sure that feedback that you communicate the feedback was heard whether or not it gets actioned on based on business priorities and yeah i mean we we all have to be realistic that not every bit of feedback will be taken and and actioned and that's just a maturity thing but you also shouldn't not give feedback you know because you think oh no one's going to do anything about it i think i think that's important there because yeah, many voices will bring change, but one voice won't, you know? So if someone's if only one person says there's a problem, it'll it'll fall away. But if many people still say there's a problem, then it'll get it'll get attention at some point. Might be years after you've left, but that's that doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Cool. I, I need to run, but it was good catching up with you. Talk to you later. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. 
The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.